Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete. Today's guest I'm very excited to announce is Elizabeth Gilbert, one of the biggest inspirations to me of all time. So I was slightly fangirling in this one. Like I did when Liz Gilbert actually came on to Control-Alt-Delete as my very, very first guest back in 2016. I DM'd her on Twitter. I had reviewed her book, Big Magic, for Glamour magazine and somehow I managed to get to meet her at her one of her book launches for Big Magic. And when I DM'd her saying, hi, I'm starting a podcast called Control-Alt-Delete. Do you want to come on as my first guest? She actually said yes, which I will always be grateful for because this podcast had zero listeners. So it's pretty amazing that she is now my 206th guest where I'm talking to her about her brand new book. So for anyone that doesn't know who Liz Gilbert is, which is probably a very small amount of people. Elizabeth Gilbert is the number one New York Times bestselling author of Eat, Pray, Love, Big Magic and Signature of All Things and many other books. Uh, Big Magic is a book I recommend to literally everyone and anyone struggling with a creative project. It's a really practical and fun book looking at how to understand why we need to work alongside our fear and not try and get rid of it because it's kind of impossible to get rid of fear. And she has just written a new book called City of Girls. It is an amazing, beautiful delicious novel of glamour sex and adventure about a young woman discovering that you don't have to be a good girl to be a good person in this episode we discuss all sorts we talk about mental health and how uh, liz calls it the the weather forecast in your mind which i really like we talk about how being a relaxed woman is actually more radical than being a strong woman and how uh, checking in with people is really important because people often misjudge how we are feeling with what we are presenting on the outside, how creativity changes everything and changes us as people and how to stop negative self-talk. Um, we talk about all sorts of things. I had half an hour with Liz at Bloomsbury offices, the really iconic, amazing publishers in Bloomsbury. And It was just a lovely conversation and I was so thrilled to be in person with Liz again. I feel very lucky to have met her a few times now and I follow her work absolutely religiously. And if you enjoyed it, please do leave a rating or a review. It really helps um, in the iTunes charts. So here is the episode. I hope you enjoy it. I don't know how quite to introduce this one, but I'm with Liz Gilbert someone who has impacted my life so much and you were the first guest episode yes I was I was I remember it very very well and look what you have become my dear thank you so much take a fucking bow I mean this you are in a very different place than you were and probably also still exactly the same person in a way which is part of it too because I feel like life can change but you you're still like a a small child inside like worrying about everything yeah yeah that doesn't go away just to reassure you (laughs) (laughs) but congratulations like beautiful beautiful work and and so cool to just see you out there in the world galloping about thank you so much and congratulations on your new book because last time I saw you uh in person it was your lunch for big magic yeah and my first question for you is before you sat down and wrote this book, did you re reread Big Magic at all? Did you have to have that reminder? Because I know so many people who use Big Magic before anything. Really? It's like the the amuse bouche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't. I haven't read it since I haven't read it since I wrote it. Um, I think that those ideas live in me in such a in, in such a 
vivid way at this point, but I will tell you this. I will tell you what I forgot. So um, I think I, I, I've spoken about this in other interviews, so I hope you'll forgive me for saying it again, but I just think it's buck wild. You know, I spend my life telling people, bossing people around, cajoling, convincing, begging people to experience creativity as a way of regaining vitality, joy, life, all this great stuff. Um, and then when I sat down to write this book, City of Girls, I sat down to write it just a few weeks after my partner Rhea died. And I remember being very frightened that I, I knew I didn't have any, enough vitality to pull this off. Um, because creativity, I was just in the story of creativity requires vitality um, mm -hmm. in order to, to produce. And I didn't have that because I was in grief and grief can feel like you have got a very bad flu for months and months on end. You just it's a, this weighty, dense tropical heat heaviness that sits on you, and um, and I sat down to write from that place, and as I was writing, I saw it happening in real time. Within a few days of beginning to write the novel, I was watching vitality pour back into me, and I was like. How did I forget this? This is my religion. This is what I go around the world telling everybody. I actually forgot that you don't wait till you have vitality to create. You create and it will restore you. Like, duh, how did I forget that? So I actually, it was really cool to have forgotten that lesson and then learned it in real time again. That's so interesting because I think we all forget that in just daily life. You know, when you're feeling really down in the dumps and you know seeing your friend in the pub or texting someone will make you feel better, but you forget. Yeah. And with this book, did you feel like the characters brought you back to being, you know? Yeah, the characters and then also just the um, the challenge. You know, I think it's sort of the same with every project for me, but I think what brings us into health and well-being is walking on that edge of doing something that's a little bit harder than you know how to do um, and just enough not so much harder than you know how to do that you collapse and it breaks you and you just simply can't do it but I think actually we're kind of designed to really thrive in an environment where you're so challenged that you need all your senses at the same time to be galvanized and united towards something and it makes you um, it makes you feel good um, and so that's what it was even more than the characters themselves it was the project like and the project the weird dare that I felt in myself of can you actually produce this book this that you promised to your publisher this mm. light-hearted fizzy gin cocktail of a book from this state that you're in of just having lost the most important person in your life that's interesting you know and instead of it being like oh this is so impossible I'll never be able to do it I there's something in me that loves a challenge and I think there's something in all of us that that does you know that's that great Winston Churchill line that we haven't come all this distance because we're made of sugar candy mm. you know um we we something about we're we are all the descendants of people who survived mm. incredible challenges and I think there's something in us that kind of likes it must have been a nice reminder for you because that means that no matter what happens now you are you will you can know that you can write a book in any in any place in your life and and know that yeah. it's always going to be there you can always rejuvenate yourself yeah as long as my mind is working you know um and and i'm grateful for that you know um but it does seem to be the case i look at the i look at my very in many ways chaotic life that i've lived and the one constant has been this mm. like 
things have come and gone. Husbands have come and gone. You know, depressions have come and gone. Exaltations and success and all of it has come and gone and failures have come. All of it is just temporary in a weird way. This thing, this relationship with this work is the constant that runs through like the, this golden thread through the entirety of my life. And I'm so happy to have mm-hmm. one because <laughs> otherwise it would really just be such a shit show. Yes. <laughs> and well, it's also the way to process the shit show. Like so much of what, of what I've gone through in my mechanical life goes into the things that I make. So um, just thank God for it. I just do not know what I would be without it. I hear a lot of people say to you that they just find you inspiring for many, many reasons. But one being that you live your life a lot like you you work hard obviously and produce a lot of books but in between that you live a lot and I remember hearing on Big Magic once on your podcast that you were like if you want to write don't write for a month (laughs) or like take it away from you right I wondered if that helps your process the the stepping away from it um yeah I mean that's uh, the way that I write the way that I work is is seasonal um, it's ag- it's almost like an agricultural season. Um, it's it's got its own yeah it's got its own pacing that requires long fallow periods, and um, and I think it's because when I'm writing, it's everything is going into it. So by the time I finish a project, it's empty. I'm on empty and should be. Mm. Um, I was talking about this with a friend recently who had just finished a novel and she was feeling this sort of depression in this kind of void. And she said, I just feel this great emptiness since my book is done. And I said, yes. And, and that's actually, if you didn't, it would mean that you didn't do it right because what you should do is put everything that you are and everything you have into it. So when you're done, yeah. And now just now is the season to be empty mm-hmm. and to slowly let ideas start to kind of drip back in and, and fill that, you know, the watershed again so that like the reservoir gets filled and then and then you can your curiosity will start to lead you and you'll find one day when you wake up that you kind of want to do something and you want to start looking into something. And so, yeah, I mean, I only actually sit down and write at that level like once every three or four years Mm -hmm. and in between there it's a lot of preparation a lot of living a lot of gathering a lot of filling so that I can then just dump everything that I am into another project Mm -hmm. because with this book it feels I know that on your Instagram you put recently about the issue you have with like the strong female characters trope and how it's funny because your book is so needed I don't feel like there's anything else out there talking about that relationship with sex and how we we haven't seen women kind of living their lives without being tra- traumatized by their experiences but at the same time people love to be like oh it's so trendy to talk about women being empowered yeah. and i wondered how yeah you've been asked those questions a few times i just wondered i, I, I haven't heard you answer it but i just read your post yeah you know it's the, the question that i get is you know oh it's, it's either a question or an observation that you know when i write fiction particularly i'm always writing about strong women and and it, there was just a reaction that i had to it one day of thinking um you guys do know that the term strong women is redundant right <laughs> like you have to be like females have to be you have to be we all are i don't know any who aren't and um and i've been talking about this a lot which is that I think we've got this focus all the time on how to be strong and I think we can I don't think we need to be so so focused on that because I think you can just you just you will be um you are you will be horrible things will happen somehow you'll get through it like that's the story kind of of life of women on earth there's that strength is 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 something not that you will not so much cultivate as as discover 
you know, you're going to discover it when you need it and, and you won't believe it. You won't believe that you can, and then you will. And that's the story of every single female that I know. Mm. Um, and, and when we focus so much on idealizing and romanticizing and, and pursuing this idea of like strong women, badass women, fierce women, powerful women, and to me, that's all great. And I want to be all of those things. And I admire people who are those things, but none of that feels new to me. It doesn't feel revolutionary because every woman in my family's history could be defined by those words, whether it was before, or during, or after the women's movement, right? Mm-hmm. Like they were all strong, resilient, badass, tough, brave. They had to be, mm-hmm. you know, they all were. And so to me, it just feels like we're kind of spinning our wheels. Here's where shit gets radical here's what I want to see. Here's who I want to meet and who I want to become a relaxed woman. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, me too. (laughs) How many do you know? How many have you ever met in your entire life? It's That's fucking radical. That's radical. You know, so that would be, that's new. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to talk about anything. You don't have to become anything. You don't have to, like there's just a sense of being absolutely comfortable within your own skin in every single moment, in every single scenario, whether you're fighting, not fighting, relax, eating, whatever, you're just at ease mm-hmm. constantly. Would you not follow such a woman anywhere? Like, would that not be the leader who you really, really want? And that's the puzzle is how in this dumpster fire of a world, in this female body with the inherited trauma of your all your experiences and the anxiety of having a device in your pocket that tells you every second every single emergency that's going on in, in everyone's personal and public lives and from the tiny to the massive how do you be relaxed mm. um do you think you're there i i have tastes of it I mean, I feel like what the great thing that's happening as I'm about to be 50, you know, like on the brink of it, is that um, here's what I've come to trust. My being, my very being, my body, my spirit, my emotions, my intellect, when I'm in a scenario that is bad for me, will break very quickly, which I used to think was a problem. And now I think is grace. Um, I used to think that it meant that I was weak and that I needed to buck up and I needed to transcend and overcome. But now I just see, oh, oh, this is just my dear friend life telling me that this is not where I'm supposed to be um, because I'm not relaxed and I'm not thriving and I'm not at ease and I don't feel confident and I don't feel contented. So that doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. That means there's something wrong with this. And then I look around at this, whatever it happens to be, it could be who I'm in a relationship with. It could be a way that a work situation is going. It could be something that I'm, I've something I've involved myself in in somebody else's life and somebody else's drama it could be a drama that I've committed to believing in myself something's happening in my immediate environment and my entire being will go into revolution against it and I can try to overcome that with will and with striving harder and with trying to fix things or I can just say oh Mm. excuse me I'm out. <laughs> this is not where I'm supposed to be. And I can tell because I'm back in a doctor's office asking for a Xanax prescription again, you know, or because I'm, I'm wishing that I was on an antidepressant again, or because I'm having trouble breathing. Um, this is just a signal that this organism of me is not where it's supposed to be. And when I'm restored to where I'm supposed to be, then I'll be relaxed. 
And it's so hard when society, like it's confusing when the thing that makes you feel uncomfortable and weird and like this isn't working, the world says, oh no, that looks good on, on paper. Like you're married yeah, or yeah. you... Good, um, you got a house, thing. you're married, you're good, you're good. Yeah, and everyone else is like, that's great. Yeah, and, you and think, you're like, why, I need to get out of this. Yeah, why have I not, why can I not sleep? Yeah. Why am I throwing up every day? You know, and I, and I think that really, really, really I've trusted... God, I fought that. I mean, I, I put myself and my my then ex husband through four years of misery by not just leaving four years earlier. But I was too young. I didn't know. I just thought I was supposed to make it work, and um, and I don't really put very much effort anymore into making things work. I really just don't. I, I just really believe that things will work when they're meant to, and so there's a much shorter turnaround time mm-hmm. where I'm just like, oh oh no this isn't working by rather than um this isn't working let's like white knuckle our way through to some kind of and that's a way to be too i mean i have great admiration for people who decide to put their shoulders into something and just force it you know but i i just am finding yeah britain glennon our dear friend glennon doyle says um i used to work hard now i work easy mm-hmm. and i think that that i think if you were ever to meet a relaxed woman it would have to be somebody a lot older. I think that that mm-hmm. is one of the kind of fruits of maturity is the is that out of shits to give, you know, kind of, oh, no, I'm not doing that. I love, who is it? Byron Katie, the great spiritual teacher, saw somebody one time do what they do to me all the time. She was at an event and somebody came up and handed her a manuscript and said, I wrote this and I want to give it to you. And she said, oh, I'm never going to read that. And she just <laughs> walked away. You know, she just walked away and I was like, I love that. oh, that's how you do it, right? Like, it's so beautiful. Like, oh, no. Yes, yes. <laughs> the nose just becomes so simple. Um, do you think that's how you are able to share so much of your life? Because I, I, I find it so amazing. I get so scared and vulnerable when I share. I'm mm. just like really like keep that back. And I think I look at you and think, no, there is a way to do it. Yeah. You can share so much about yourself and you can also keep yourself for yourself. Yeah. And I wondered if that, that sort of relaxed kind of knowing what's right and what's wrong and knowing when to share and when not to share must come very natural to you now I don't know what's right and wrong to share and I don't have a metric Um, and I don't I don't have a system Um, I just sometimes really want to share something and I do and then I may wish later that I hadn't and that's also okay Um, but I also know that my life has been so deeply transformed and benefited by people who were generous enough to learn in public mm-hmm. yeah, that's something that my friend Rob Bell says that he coined that term he said like that's what you and I do we learn in public and I my god my life has been quite literally saved by people who are generous enough to mm-hmm. learn in public and that's a very different way of being from curating and presenting a, a very polished lacquered public persona mm-hmm. um, and thinking that that's what you're supposed to do um, which is fine if that's how you are you know um, or whatever I just don't learn anything from mm-hmm. those people like I, I I have never learned anything from anybody who keeps zipped up and lacquered and polished and perfected in public and I feel like we're in a time though where it's very scary to you know we see people being publicly shamed Mm. or getting things wrong or being like cancelled and and it's it's scary now that you can mess up and like worry that everything will be over 
not to get too mystical, but like, <laughs> don't believe this too much. This whole thing, this dance, this play, this game that we're in, you know, I mean, just you have to play it. I mean, I love the, the meditation teacher Ram Dass who always says, embrace the incarnation, but know that it's all very imagined. Um, so, you know, play it. You're playing, pretending that you're Emma and I'm pretending that I'm Liz and, and you know, we're doing this sort of story that we're living and we're pretending that we believe it. Um, and secretly, mm-hmm. you know, secretly I know that we're, we're just like this flame of the divine that wanted to experience this game and is playing this thing through us. And um, and when I know that, then it's kind of the risks and the stakes feel a lot less. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but when I really start to believe that I'm what I think I am, and I don't mean what I think I am in terms of Elizabeth Gilbert, blah, 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 I mean, just whatever I think that I am. It's just, it's just not really true. Um, but it can be played with in really interesting ways. Yes. And suffering is real. So like whatever we can do to 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 help alleviate our own and other people's suffering is always worth worth risking mm. for you know um, i hope more people feel comfortable to uh, learn in public that I, i've been following like jamila jamil um who had says that she's like feminist in progress so it's uh-huh. like i will i will mess up we yeah. will all mess up yeah. do you think we have lost the art of like just conversation of it doesn't have to be a, like a hard debate all the time I don't think we've lost it. You and I are doing it right this very instant. Um, That's why podcasts are so good, though. Yeah. um, No, I don't think so. I mean, I think we're all just um, learning and experimenting with these radical new forms. And this is the weird thing about humanity is that technology, because we're so good, we're so great, amazing technological, I mean, not me, but a lot of people are such incredible technological geniuses engineering let's say engineering has escalated um Mm -hmm. massively in the last hundred thousand years and certainly in the last hundred years and definitely in the last 20 you know these huge leaps that we can make as humans where where this but but our our actual emotional intelligence isn't any different Mm -hmm. right so um so we're still the same questions that Marcus Aurelius and Aristotle were pondering in Athens. We ponder at the same pace. We we haven't really made many advances there. Um, it's still just as hard mm-hmm. to figure out how to solve yourself, right? We just have fancier shit now. Um, and so what we are is like, you know, we're toddlers. We're emotional toddlers with like these amazing sophisticated machines and these amazing new technologies of communication. It doesn't mean that we're better at it. It doesn't mean that you get to skip any of the steps of your own evolution. Still just as, you know, you still got to do all the heavy lifting that everyone's always had to do of how do you make peace with yourself so that you can sit in a room alone with yourself and not die. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's the major question that doesn't get any easier no matter how the conversation changes so I don't see us as being any different fundamentally I just think you know we got fancier things yeah. we just got a tool to do certain yeah because you've always used social media in such a cool way like talking to, to the people that read your books and also the like activism side of what you do and mm. using that platform it's um it, it's really nice to see someone use a tool in a way that's just like not feeling like it takes over mm. well that the activism i'm 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 just a foot soldier in glennon doyle's war and she's the general and um and she's doing that magnificently anybody out there who doesn't follow her 
please follow her. Yeah, um, amazing. She is amazing and amazing. And she's doing, she's using social media and fundraising and activism. And she's so, she and her sister, who is a human rights attorney, they're this dream team of female power and they are righteous and ferocious protectors of the vulnerable and they don't just get upset and they don't just raise money they do granular detailed like weeks consuming research mm-hmm. to figure out what is the thing that we actually could do here who can we fund whose boots on the ground knows this issue can actually make an immediate difference and um and then they do these love flash mobs where they raise a ton of money for for somebody who already knows how to do the thing um you know and so glennon and her sister and her board of together rising do all of that and then i all i do is is yell it through my amplification device um but it's not coming from me it's coming from them i'm just delighted to be a foot soldier in Mm. in their army because it makes me feel so much less helpless about the world definitely definitely and with your with promoting this book i know that you've been you've been doing lots of tours are you an extrovert I I sometimes say I'm an um, introvert trapped in an extrovert's body. I definitely have the the personality traits in a way of an extrovert, but but I will say that I am I have rarely in my life, for an extended period of time, been very sad when I'm alone. Mm. Like um, I really really like being alone. Love being alone, and I've spent a lot of time alone. I spend more time alone than almost anybody that I know because I don't have. Partner and I don't have children and and I don't work in an office mm-hmm. um, and I like I'm greedy for my own hours greedy for them I love them I love my mornings you know I love my four hours of shit I do every morning to kind of get my head straight for the day and I would I, I would resent having to give that away to anybody so um so yeah I'm that too you know but the, but once I come you know once I get to come out and roll around with people in the in the big love pile that's awesome also (laughs) so it's a little of both because it's nice to to have seen as well like uh, you've been through quite a lot recently Mm -hmm. and I know that in a lot of interviews people talk about that because they feel that you're open about it and you are but it's been really nice to see someone so honest in their state of mind when we're so used to people being interviewed and they're like i'm fine everything's great yeah yeah life is good i'm there's a pr in the room and whatever and i remember in one interview i can't remember but they're just like how are you and you're like not good today yeah and it's just really inspired me to do more of that yeah i mean i don't know how we serve each other by i mean you asked (laughs) how am i doing um and not good today I mean, I think it's a really interesting thing when somebody says, how are you, to actually pause for a longer period than people are comfortable with and really consider the question. Because sometimes the answer is, surprisingly, I'm doing really well. Like some people would, that's how I would answer when people would call me after Rhea died. And you know, it's so terrifying to call somebody who's grieving because you just don't know what you're going to intersect with and you don't know what to say and you don't know. And I would feel that terror in people's voices and there would be times where people would call and say, how are you? You know, and I would be like, actually right this second, top notch. You know, like I'm at Target buying underwear, I slept really well last night. I'm about to go see a movie with my friend. I'm actually really good right this minute. But but that's an honest answer right that minute. So I think that the really important thing is to just say how you are right this instant. Um, and then other times, like, I had a really tough 
I was going through some really hard stuff a few weeks ago and and people were calling to congratulate me and mm-hmm. um, there's this assumption that people make that they see what's happening in your life externally and they assume that it matches the internal so there are times when even just a few weeks after Ray's death I was actually doing really well and there are times when when my book is suddenly on the bestseller list people are calling to congratulate you well you've just caught me at a moment where I'm mm-hmm. actually not doing well so so that's I think the honesty is is if you can just be very clear about what things look like and what things are. Um, and so I would say, thank you so much for the congratulations. Right this minute, I'm not excited about the book because my heart's really broken right now. But I love that you called me. It's like, this is a kind of a hard day. Um, but but just fill people in on what you're actually doing. Yes. <laughs> and that's very, you know, from a wider point of view, that's just living in the moment more, isn't it? Because trying to make sense of how you are in the past and present and future is like quite exhausting. Yeah. How, how are you doing right now? Like right now, I'm really good. Like right now, I'm really good. Two days ago, maybe not so much. It's like, but it's a changing it's the weather Ray and I always used to say how's the weather in your mind today what's the weather forecast mm. you know oh, we've got hailstorms today you know or today's sunny it's just and the weather in your mind this is part of the bizarro paradox of being human the weather the internal weather often is not matched with what what appears on the outside mm-hmm. um, and that's true of everybody it's just that some people are more honest about it and I think when people assume you're great and everything's brilliant and you're you know a new york times bestseller again and all this stuff i think people can understandably just think life is perfect and i think we think other people's lives are great all the time yeah and that's why phone calls are important yeah (laughs) to check in on people more yeah i mean i deeply fundamentally sort of at the soul level believe it is i feel like there is a kind of there is somewhere there's a perfection but yeah um the day-to-day mm. yes. can be oh, quite a ride and um, it is good to check in mm. and with yourself too yeah. see how you're doing um, so just lastly I before we started recording I told you about this TED interview that you did that just like changed everything for me because you said and I'm paraphrasing about how when you work on something and you finish it on the other side you will become a different person and you will have learned something from it that will transform you forever, whether or not you get it published or not. And I know people sometimes find that, they find that not inspiring sometimes because they're like, no, I want to get it published. That's the point. Mm. And I went into a project like so open-heartedly with like, if this sits in a drawer, genuinely just this thing that I've done, I've loved so much. Mm. Um, How has City of Girls changed you oh what a sweet question yeah that's this is how i really try to encourage people to make things is to say i can't promise you that you'll get published i can't promise you that you'll have an agent i can't promise you that you'll get a movie deal i can't promise you that your business will succeed i can't promise you that anyone will care as much as you do about the cause that you're throwing yourself into none of that is is assured but i can promise you that you will be a different person on the end of having created that than you were at the beginning. And that to me just seems like really worth doing for the pure curiosity mm. of finding out who you are at the end of it. How, like, aren't you interested? Wouldn't you like to know? Like, and, the, and, and also, it, can you do it? Yeah. It's just exciting to be like, can, you can do I finish it? it? Can, can I do, you do it? it? And what will it change you into? It? And your thing might not change the world, but it will certainly change you. And that's always worth doing just, just as a kind of experiment in your own life. Like that's cool. So, so the, how, how the city of girls changed me. It, you know, sometimes I feel like I, I'm thinking on the spot because I haven't been asked this yet. I'm, I think that by writing Vivian, who is this very promiscuous, very sensual, 
very life-devouring young woman and writing her through her life, finding, writing her through her shame after she had gone too far Mm -hmm. and hurt people in a way that could never be fixed, helping her figure out as a character how she was going to come out on the other side of that as we all have to for the things in our lives that we fucked up and can't fix. Um, writing her as a maturing woman in her 50s, learning how to control, not control, but how to guide her sensuality to get what she needs and wants without giving up what she doesn't want to give up. Um, and then writing her into her 90s as somebody who looks back on her life with a lot of friendliness toward herself and who has become somebody who just sees a lot of the paradoxes and is comfortable with them who actually has become a relaxed woman Mm. you know Vivian is a very relaxed narrator um, because she's writing from that place of a great deal of perspective and wisdom um, and having let a lot of stuff go and knowing what she is and isn't and stopping fighting trying to be something that she's not there's the line in the book where she says at some point in a woman's life she just gets tired of being ashamed all the time and Mm. then she can be who she really is you know writing that makes me that you know what I mean? So so it's almost like I wrote my way into who I would very much like to be when I am ninety yes. and seventy and sixty and fifty. You know, as I'm as I'm aging, Vivian is a little bit of a pathfinder for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because that that life that she lived and, and and how she ended up seeing it and who she became is kind of exactly what I would like for myself. So um so yeah, she's like walking in front of me with a lantern showing me how to do it i really love that and and i actually love um actually something that you said a a while ago about how you know self-criticizing and self-hatred and self-talk i think you wrote something about how you were just like i'm bored of doing that now (laughs) i I cannot do that anymore (laughs) and i remember that whenever i'm about to put myself down i'm like no i'm tired of that well what i'll say to myself now is we've done that like and actually I've got a doctoral degree in it as you do as everybody does right I yeah. mean my god I've dedicated decades of my life to self abuse like I've really mastered it mm. so th- I know how to do that and I know I'm great at it super pro so now when it rises I just have this attitude toward it of I've got nothing to learn from this because I've learned everything that there is to learn from this which is actually nothing (laughs) (laughs) um you know how has it served me what has it brought me ever nothing like so we've so what i just say to that voice now is we've done that we're doing this now Mm -hmm. we're doing this now and what we're doing this now means is for me usually in that moment is taking a really big breath and exhaling we're just doing this now we're just breathing now we're not doing that now (laughs) thank you for your contribution we're going to do this now. Um, and that's a, that's a constant dialogue with me. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being my first guest on this podcast uh, three years ago. I know. And look and what you've done. You it's so great. Today. Oh, thanks, Emma. Thank you're, you just, so you're just wonderful. So are you. Thank you so much. You bet. <laughs>